This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. 2 Corinthians 8, we began a new series last Sunday called By His Grace, For His Glory, and we're going to work our way through 2 Corinthians 8 and, and 9, and in your By His Grace, For His Glory booklet, I hope you've got it with you, there's a place for you to take notes today, it's on page 26, and so you can turn there if you'd like to take notes as we as we move through the text. And also, let me make you aware that we have devotions that I hope you'll take advantage of week by week as we progress toward Commitment Sunday, October the 20th. Um, But this week, week two, it's on page 21, so you can kind of go through that uh, this week and, and use that in your time with the Lord. And also, we showed a video last week that's really informative about our, our, our initiative and our, our renovations and additions to our building and how we can be a part of that. And so if you didn't get a chance to see that or if you'd like to see it again, it's on our church website, so you can go and, and check that out. Well, let's prepare to dig into God's Word. Second Corinthians chapter 8, and we're going to look at verses 8 through 15 this morning, we looked at 1 through 7 last Sunday, and I'm going to go back and read 1 through 7 as well, just to kind of get the flow of everything that is, that's happening here. 2 Corinthians 8, and let's begin with verse 1. Paul says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. And so, just to review, what's happening is that Paul is asking the church at Corinth and some of the other churches that he was working with to take part in this special offering that was going to be for the church at Jerusalem. And the churches in Macedonia were, were very poor. They were impoverished themselves. But, but he says that they're their extreme poverty overflowed in this wealth of generosity. They were so blown away by the gospel, by what Jesus had done in their lives, that they, that they couldn't help but give. And they gave according to their means, and he says they even gave beyond their means to be a blessing to others. And, and then in, in verse Six, he says, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this 
act of grace also. And he's talking there about the grace of giving. Now, let's, let's look at our primary text for today, beginning in verse 8. He, Paul says, I say this, not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their needs so that their abundance may supply your needs so that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. Let's pray. Father, this is your word, and we thank you for it. And Father, we, we come today uh, needing to be equipped by your word. Lord, we, we want our souls to be nourished by your word today. And so, Father, we pray that you would give us the grace now to really, to really focus. We pray that you would, um, would eliminate any any temptation toward distraction of uh, what we're going to be doing after the service or anything, and, and really that we would just lock in on you. We need you. We, we need your, your power and for you to speak through your word now. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do that. Give us the grace to listen, to understand, and to apply. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. In the classic 1967 film, Cool Hand Luke, Paul Newman plays an, an, an inmate. And the, the warden in the film, he's kind of a, he's a, he's a harsh, kind of an imperious sort of a, of a guy. And, and there was a classic line that emerged from that film because this, this warden would look at Luke and the other inmates and he would say, what we've got here is a failure to communicate. You know, most problems um, in marriage especially go back to that one. There are all kinds of things when we get married that we have to talk through, communicate about, and Melissa and I have certainly found that to be the case. But, and one of the things that we should talk about, obviously, if we're Christians, is our, is our, our giving through our local church and um, and we 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 do that when we we talk about um, what we're going. We found through the years really that um, the discipline of tithing, of giving 10% of our income, um, is a, a great discipline. It's a, a great tool uh, to train us to to be generous. But we've also found that that really biblically we shouldn't view tithing as as a floor as a ceiling for our giving, but really as a floor, sort of as a baseline, <clears throat> a foundation that we can build from. And through the years, we've, we've increased that, and we've, we've given be, 
beyond that 10%. And so, and we keep trying to bump that up. And when we do that, we talk through that, we pray through that. When we have special offerings, our Lottie Moon Christmas offering, or special projects like, like our, our building up project, that, you know, we're, we're praying through that now and communicating about that, uh, what we're going to, to give. But when we got married, we, 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 did, we didn't really have to communicate about whether we were going to give. And, and the reason for that is not because we were you know, such virtuous Christians or anything like that. It was totally about the example that had been set for us by our parents in the homes that we grew up in. It, it, we, we thought of that as something that we, we, we didn't need to talk about that, any, about whether we were going to give any more than we were going to talk about whether we were going to brush our teeth in the morning or go to sleep at night. I mean, it was just there. It was ingrained in us, and it was because of the wonderful example of our parents. I can still remember just like it was yesterday. I mean, vividly, I remember my dad calling me, and he had an office built onto our house, and I remember him calling me into, the, into his office, and, and whenever he did that, when he would call me into his office, I, I knew it was going to be serious time at that point. You know? and now, it, didn't, it, didn't, it didn't necessarily mean I was in trouble. Sometimes it did. Um, but I knew at, at, at any rate it was going to be serious. And then when I walked in, he would say, Hey, son, sit down for a few minutes. Let's, let's talk. I, I knew, yeah, this is going to be serious right here. And uh, there's not going to be any TV. This is going to be eye to eye, heart to heart. And, and a lot of times it was just he, would want to, he wanted to teach me some things. And on this particular day, I, I so remember it. He said, you know, you see me and your mom and you see us giving when we go to church and everything. He said, son, I want you to understand what that's all about. I want you to understand what we do, and I want you to understand why we do it. And so he just began to unpack it, and he began to talk about the gospel, about the fact that, that God has given his son for us, and that all the blessings in life come from his hand. And he talked about the fact that when we give to, to advance the gospel that God is, is more than able to make up for it, and in fact, that we'll be, we'll be better off financially and otherwise than, than we would be if we withheld those tithes and offerings. Now, I was maybe nine or so when that conversation took place. I didn't understand much about the Bible at that point, but I understood that. I understood what he was talking about. I mean, I really got it. These were huge concepts that my dad was communicating to me, but he did it in a way that I, I really I, I understood it. Now, friends, that's leadership. You want to talk about leadership in the home? There it is. When, when biblical instruction is provided and when it's coupled by example, that's powerful. And I got things that day that stuck with me for the rest of my life, and Melissa got that in, in her home as well from her parents. Um, and so this was just, you know, when we got married, this was just, it was, it was already set because of the wonderful example that we had. Well, the, the Christians that Paul is writing to here in Corinth, they didn't have parental examples like that. They couldn't have because they were first-generation Christians, 
They didn't grow up in Christian homes. None of them did. And so they didn't have the example of their parents, but that doesn't mean that they lacked examples of giving. So let's talk about that first. Let's talk about uh, some examples of, of, of giving. And of course, last time, we looked at the example of these Macedonian churches, these poor Christians who were so in love with Christ and what He had done for them that they just poured themselves out. Um, they gave so generously to this offering for the church at Jerusalem. And so in light of that, in verse 7, Paul tells the, the Corinthians, he says, I want you to excel in this grace of giving as well. But, but now in verse 8, he says to them, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Now we see something here that was very important to Paul. He wanted them to give from their hearts. He wanted it to be willingness on their part, that it would come from them. And so he doesn't pull rank on them and say, I'm an apostle and this is what you're going to do, this is how it's going to be. No, he says, I, I, I say this not as a command. In other words, I, I want this to come from you, from your heart. Now, he says the same thing in chapter 9 and verse 7. He says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Paul wants it to come from a heart of joy and gratitude for what Christ has, has, has done for them. He wants it, he wants it to be uh, willing uh, from, from their hearts. At the same time, he knows that if their hearts really are being transformed by the gospel, that they are going to give, that they're going to want to give, that it's going to show the reality, the genuineness of their faith. And so he says here in verse 8 um, that this will show that your love, your love also is is genuine, that it's real, that Jesus really has become the treasure of your, your heart. You know, Jesus says in Matthew 6.21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In the film All the President's Men, uh, Bob, uh, Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman play Washington Post reporters Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein, and they're assigned to the Watergate investigation. And if you've seen this movie, you know that, that part of it is that along the way, Bob Woodward developed the secret source of information about Watergate. And he would meet this guy in a, in a parking lot, in a, a, like a, a, a parking garage in the middle of the night. It was really spooky. And this this man who we now know was named Mark Felt, would provide inside information on the case. And, and one night, uh, Bob Woodward is struggling. He's trying, to, he's trying to make sense of it all. He's trying to pick up the trail of what's really happening. And his source says to him, follow the money. 
follow the money. And you'll understand, you'll be able to put the pieces together of what's happening. Jesus says, if you want to understand something about what you really treasure and value in your heart, follow the money. Talk, evaluate your, look at your, what do you spend your money on? What do you, what do you, because what that's going to do is it reveals what we're really passionate about. What we really treasure, what we really value. Well, it was obvious that the Macedonians, the treasure of their heart was Jesus. They, they were a wonderful example of giving. But the Macedonians were, were not the ultimate example of giving. In fact, the only reason why the Macedonians were such a wonderful example of giving is because their hearts had been blown away by the ultimate example of giving, which we see in verse 9. Let's check it out. Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake... He became poor so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. What an amazing statement of the Gospel this is. It goes back to grace, doesn't it? He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And God's grace is His undeserved, unmerited love and mercy. And in His grace... What happened? Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. How rich was Jesus? Well, the night before he goes to the cross, Jesus prays, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. But Jesus, instead of just enjoying that glory or exploiting that glory and, and leaving us to wallow in our sin and guilt and, and condemnation, what did He do? For our sakes, He became poor. God became a human being. And not only became a human being, but a human being born in the lowest of circumstances and a human being who died in the lowest of circumstances on a cross taking our condemnation upon Himself so that now for those who have trusted in Jesus there is no condemnation because Jesus, Jesus took it in our place Paul says that though he was rich, yet for your sake, it was for you, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. So instead of condemnation, what do we have? We have forgiveness of our sins. We are now totally accepted as righteous before God because the, the, the righteousness of Christ has been credited to us. We have been adopted 
as beloved sons and daughters of the king. These are the riches that we now have. And so, Paul, first of all, gives the Corinthians and gives us examples of giving, the ultimate example being Christ himself. Now, he's going to talk about some benefits of giving. Turn your attention to verse 10. Paul says to them, And in this matter I give my judgment, this benefits you. You would expect him to say, this will benefit the church in Jerusalem. That's who the offering is for. But no, he says, this benefits you. It's going to bless you as, as givers. And again, this is a theme that we're going to see running through this passage. He's going to say in chapter 9 and verse 6, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Again, Jesus echoes this in Luke 6.38. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Proverbs 11.24, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. And listen to this. God's methods of blessing generous givers are not limited to financial blessings. Look at the, I love this time of year, as the leaves begin to turn and just the kaleidoscope of color. I just love to see how it changes day by day and and week by week and it just shows the glory of God and His brilliance and His creativity. Well, listen, that, that kind of a God is able to just creatively bless givers Uh, Not only in a financial way, but in a myriad of ways. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we ask or imagine in the ways that that He blesses generosity. And, And not only that, but, you know, Jesus says that when we give, we're just happier as people, right? Acts 20, 35 Luke says, remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And the word blessed there means what? Happy. Happy. You'll be happier by giving than than withholding. It's just so counterintuitive to, to to the way that all of us think by nature. And so when you put all these passages together, I mean, what do, you, what do you see? What we see is that, you know, not only if, 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 we, don't, if we don't give, if we don't learn how to give cheerfully and generously, it, it's not just that we're disobeying God and we're being ungrateful, which, which we are if we don't, um, but it's more than that. 
the Bible says when we, when we don't give, we're not even acting in our own self-interest. We're not even acting in the interest of our own happiness, our own joy. You know, you see this repeated over and over again in Scripture. Malachi 3. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet, yet you rob me, God says. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land. Now, when you, when you look at all these passages about God's blessings upon those who give, in, in light of that, why, why wouldn't we just be rushing to give? I mean, that's what the Macedonians were doing. They got it. They were, despite their impoverishment, they were rushing to give. That they, Paul tried to almost put the brakes on them because he knew their situation. But they begged to take part in it. And they just gave so overwhelmingly and sacrificially. Um, why? It was because they understood this. I think that the, what prevents people from rushing forward uh, to want to give are, well, a couple of reasons. First, Maybe some people just don't understand. I mean, it could be that you're here today, you're a relatively new Christian, this kind of teaching is, is, is new, and you're just kind of beginning to put the pieces together about what God says about giving and all of that. And, and so it's, it's information. You've got a desire to obey God, but you need to understand what the Word says. And I think that's the case with some people. Um, and then when they understand, you know, their eyes are just open to it, and they're like, yeah, you know, I, I want to... I, I want, to, I want to obey God. Um, that's the case for some people. But I think for others, the issue is not a lack of understanding, but a lack of trust. The issue for a lot of people is not whether they understand God's promises. The issue is do they really trust in what God says about these things? Do we trust them? We trust in His promises. It goes back to that. Now, that is exactly what Paul is getting to in verse 15. Look at verse 15. It's kind of a, it's sort of mysterious, but I'll tell you what's, what's going on. Verse 15 here is a quote from Exodus 16. Don't, don't take time to turn there. Just let me tell you what's going on. In Exodus 16, God has just delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. He set them free. They've just crossed the, the Red Sea on dry ground. And they've come out into the, a desert area. And God gives them bread from heaven. Calls it manna. And so... Every morning, when they come out of their tents, when the dew dries up, 
there it is. It's these flakes on the ground. The, the bread from heaven. The manna. Okay? But God gave them instructions about how to deal with that. God told him, when you go out each morning to get, gather the manna, you just gather enough for you and your family for that day. Okay, don't worry about tomorrow. When tomorrow gets here, you know what? You're going to get up the next day and you're going to see that I've been faithful again. And I'm going to give you manna tomorrow as well. So today, you just get enough for today. Well, human nature being what it is, <laughs> what did a lot of people do? Instead of trusting in what God said, they, they went outside and they, 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 they said, you know, kind of out of fear or, or whatever, hey, we don't, we're out here in the middle of the desert, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but, but you know what, we're going to gather all we can today. So they just got armfuls of it. They, squir- they said, hey, let's, let's squirrel it away in case God doesn't come through tomorrow. Well, not a good idea. Because what happens? Moses says to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning, okay? You get enough for you and your family today. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. You know, I don't, I don't know what, the, what a phobia of maggots is called, but I, I have that phobia, okay? I can take a lot, I don't mind blood, you know, I, all kinds of things, I mean, that, that can gross people out, it doesn't bother me at all, but maggots just, I just, I empty the trash, I don't want to look down, hey, what's going on there, I, I might see something I don't want to see. You know, when, when you are tempted to hoard and not trust God, just think about maggots. Because that's what we end up with when we don't trust Him. Time after time in my life where I haven't trusted the Lord in situations, I got maggots out of the deal. That's how it works. Now, there are a couple of other principles that we can get from the story of the manna and the maggots. One is this. When we're not trusting God, enough is never enough. Do not say on this issue of giving, well, I'm going to wait until God prospers me more, and then one day I'm going to become generous. Don't say that. Listen, if God can't trust you to be faithful with what you have right now, hello, why would He entrust you with more? And this is another principle that we see throughout the Word of God. Jesus says in Luke 16, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. He says in Matthew 25, Master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. The time to start obeying God is right where you are. Right where you are in your situation right now. And as you show faithfulness where you are, then God will trust you with more. There's another principle that we um, see here, and it's this. Trust God to provide each day. One day, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so Jesus gave them a model of prayer to go by. 
I would think that pretty much every ingredient in that model of prayer would be pretty important. And one of the things that Jesus teaches us to pray is this. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus does not teach us to pray for tomorrow's bread. No. Jesus says at the end of this very chapter in Matthew 6, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. He tells us to pray for our daily bread. And guess what? When we get to tomorrow, there will be grace for tomorrow. Plenty of it. God says, you trust me to provide this day. I mean, we can really, if, if we're not walking in faith, we can really freak out about the future. I mean, we can worry about all kinds of things about the future. This, this weekend was a new, a new uh, juncture in the life of our family because our son visited his first college this weekend. And so he's got college coming up. Two more on the way after him will be pointed in that direction. And I mean, if if I just sat around and just dwelled on all, all the all these things and the future and the uh, the finances of that, if I thought about our government and the economy and I just sat around and just obsessed about these things and and was overwhelmed with new, I think a lot of people are like that. Even Christians eh, shouldn't shouldn't be. You know, I mean, look at the news and get freaked out. Listen, is it God is sovereign? God is sovereign. And He loves His people. You know, and so it's really simple. I mean, to, to be consumed with anxious care about, you know, the future. Because you know what? God's got all that in His hands. We don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. And, and so He calls us to, to, to trust Him. So, I mean, when I think about future or what, am I going to let any of this cause me to disobey God in the area of, of giving? Are you, are you kidding? First of all, I don't want to deprive myself or my family of blessings. And, and second, I know that the Hayes family is, is held in the palm of someone's hand and he doesn't live in Washington, D.C., God's holding us. He's holding you as His child. He wants you to trust Him. And, and, and He wants you to trust Him with tomorrow. Right? His, what does Lamentations 3 say? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I mean, God's just there every day with new, fresh grace meeting our needs. And listen, if He's already taken care of the greatest need, which is our salvation, listen, His, his greatest gift includes all His lesser gifts, right? Paul says in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare His own Son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Yes. He's already given us the best thing. Jesus. Right? He's going to provide everything else that we need in life. Trust him. Obey him. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you so much for your amazing grace in our lives. Lord, when we see the extent of, of your grace toward us and the gospel, how can we be on the receiving end of so much love, so much grace, and turn around and shut our hearts or our wallets? And we, and we really know that those, those two things go together that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do a work in our hearts, that as we understand and are, are, are just so amazed and stunned by your amazing grace toward us in the gospel, that, uh, Lord, just, the, just reflexively, our hearts would overflow with generosity that we would just want to cheerfully give for the advance of the, the gospel that has changed our lives. Lord, we pray for that for our church as we're praying together as a family, a church family, about um, our commitments to this initiative which just has such huge ramifications for our ability to reach people for Christ and to fulfill our mission. And so, Lord, we pray that you would work in the hearts of, of husbands and wives and, and uh, younger people and older people, Lord, as we seek your face and as we, we pray. We just continue to reflect before the Lord this morning. Maybe you're here today and um, so we talked about the gospel and what Christ has done for us. If you're here today and you have questions about that. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing, and we want to invite you to come. We've got folks that would love to talk with you. Or maybe you're here today and you say, I want to be a part of this church family and what God is doing here. We want to invite you to come today. As others stand, just slip out from where you are. Others will gladly make way for you, and you come. We just want to welcome you. Or maybe you're here in just a need in your life, need for prayer. You want to pray with someone or you want to come pray at the altar. It's open for you to do that. So, Father, we give you now this time of, of invitation. We pray that you would work in hearts and lives right now by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, 
God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.